You're listening to One Decision, the podcast that looks at the choices made that shape our world. I'm your host, Julia McFarlane. And I'm Richard Dearlove, former Chief of British Intelligence, otherwise known as MI6. Together, Richard and I talk to the top decision makers and influencers, the people who shape world events, to try to understand what it is that drives the defining choices and decisions that have global impact and affect us all. The Eastern European nation of Moldova borders Ukraine's southwestern edge. It's a former Soviet republic and one of the poorest nations in Europe. In the 1990s, a narrow strip of land in Moldova, right on its border with Ukraine, broke away from the capital and declared independence. It's called Transnistria, and it was supported by Moscow in doing so. The separatists held a referendum back in 2006, asserting their demand for independence and to pursue union with Russia. There's now over a thousand Russian soldiers currently on the ground in Transnistria. Last year, exactly one week after Putin launched his full-scale invasion into Ukraine, Moldova formally submitted its application to join the European Union. Several months after that, it was granted candidate status by unanimous agreement from the leaders of all 27 EU member states. It was a bold move and one that Moldova's leadership surely knew would attract ire from Moscow. Sure enough, earlier this year, US and European officials raised concerns about an alleged Russian plot to topple the pro-Western government in Moldova. Secretary of State Tony Blinken said that Washington was, quote, alarmed by some of the plotting we've seen coming from Russia. News outlets reported on an alleged leak of FSB documents that purported to detail plans of a 10-year campaign to destabilise Moldova using pro-Russian groups, the Orthodox Church and threats to cut off vital supplies of natural gas. Moscow at the time denied the existence of any plot, calling the accusations fiction. With a slice of territory already under Russian control, Moldova's path to European citizenship is complicated. And just a few months ago, Moldova allegedly outed a Russian GRU officer who they deported and accused of posing as the head of a Russian propaganda outlet. And in latest developments, a move that underscores the importance of Moldova regarding security on the Black Sea. The new Foreign Secretary of the UK, former Prime Minister David, now Lord Cameron, visited Moldova and the President Maya Sandu right after his trip last week to Ukraine, his first overseas journey as Britain's top diplomat. To talk about the situation in Moldova and the fears that Russian-occupied Transnistria could potentially be another front in the war in Ukraine, particularly the very nearby strategic city of Odessa, I sat down with the Foreign Minister and Deputy Prime Minister of Moldova, Niku Popescu, while he was travelling in New York. We've wanted to talk to a representative from Moldova for a long time because your country must know very well not exactly what Ukraine is going through but a little bit of what Ukraine is going through right now when it comes to Russian influence meddling occupation perhaps talk to us about how this last year and a half has been for Moldova watching what has been happening with your very close neighbor Indeed, Russia's aggression against Ukraine had a negative impact in the entire world on international law, on food security, on nuclear security, on credibility of international commitments. 
But of course, the closer you get to Ukraine, the mm. closer and the higher that impact is. And of course, Moldova being where it is, being a country right next to Ukraine, has felt uh, very dramatically the negative impact of uh, Russia's brutal aggression against Ukraine in multiple domains, probably mm. in every single domain, policy domain. And uh, of course, Moldova's security has been affected. Uh, Moldova's economy has been affected, humanitarian situation, budgetary situation, inflation levels, energy situation, you know, the security of gas supply, the security of electricity networks, mm-hmm. everything, everything, everything has been felt in Moldova. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it is dramatic, but it's nowhere near dramatic to Ukraine. It's, I think, incomparable. Uh, Moldova is uh, living in peace today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moldova is not uh, threatened militarily, and that's thanks to Ukraine, thanks to the capacity of the Ukrainian army, society, and political leadership to resist. So. I'm sure... A lot of our listeners will be aware of your separatist region of Transnistria. But for those who are not aware, in the early 1990s, separatists in this region of Moldova, which borders Ukraine, declared independence from Moldova. There are, I believe, 1,500 Russian troops on this area. And Russia has exercised a lot of influence in this part of Moldova, it has quite a firm grip on it. It must give you, as Moldovans, a huge sense of anxiety, surely, to have this chunk of your territory, which is essentially occupied by the Russians, to then see Putin ordering his invasion in Ukraine, this incursion into Ukrainian sovereign territory. Are you worried that the situation in Transnistria may get worse, may escalate? Well, indeed, uh, Russia has supported separatist movements in the last days of the Soviet Union, in uh, several other parts of the former Soviet Union, uh, in Georgia, we've tried doing that uh, in Ukraine in the late 80s, early 90s, and in Moldova and in other places as well. Uh, And um, when Moldova became independent, indeed, one part of Moldova was not under mm. control of the government in Kishinev, did not recognize um, the legitimate authorities of, this gov- mm. of, of the Moldovan government. So this region is called the region of Transnistria. Mm. There was a short war in 1992, and since then there's an illegal Russian military presence on Moldovan mm. soil. Russia before, um, in 1999, Russia committed to full, unconditional and ordered withdrawal of those troops, but mm. it disrespected its own commitments and kept its troops on the ground. Mm. So there are several parallels with other parts of this former Soviet Union. At the same time, it's important to realize that our context is at the same time somewhat mm. different. Uh, Since 1992, the situation has been entirely peaceful and stable. Mm -hmm. There are small diplomatic tensions once in a while, Mm -hmm. but generally there has been no meaningful, no big uh, security incidents for Mm -hmm. over 30 years. Uh, Moldova does not have a direct border with Russia, and over time that dramatically limited the capacity of Russia to uh, destabilize, to infiltrate, to concentrate troops on the border, uh, and that helped us maintain 
relative peace and calm and stability with this separatist region. And we've been committed for peaceful negotiations mm -hmm. on the reintegration of the country. With the war, of course, uh, that was a very and still is a dangerous moment for mm. our capacity to manage the separatist conflict. But uh, as long as the Russian army is away, mm. as long as the Ukrainians resist and liberate their own territories, we are quite confident in our capacity to advance towards the settlement of the Transnistrian conflict through negotiations, through diplomacy. Uh, Russia wanted its army to get to our border to make the junction with the Transnistrian region, to use the junction to attack Odessa. That was very clearly a Russian objective in the Odessa first days. Odessa is very close to uh, yes, Transnistria, Yes, isn't that it? was a Russian objective in the early days of the war, uh, but they failed. And they did not manage to make this, to get this land corridor to the border with Moldova, to Odessa. Mm. Uh, and that, of course, uh, means that we could and can keep Moldova in peace and we can continue our efforts to settle this conflict peacefully and to obtain the withdrawal of Russian troops uh, through negotiations and diplomacy. Is that something you think the Russians might try to do again, try to get that land bridge? Do you think they may try and move in again on this very strategic area between Transnistria and Odessa? Well, we cannot speculate on what will happen in the future. Mm. What is clear is that you know, a government, including the government of Moldova, but mm. pretty much any government that has any interest in the region, should be planning for the full spectrum of scenarios mm. and should be working to prevent them. Mm. And the best way for this kind of hypothetical scenarios not to happen is to help Ukraine mm. resist and help Ukraine liberate its own territory and regain full control of what is the sovereign territory of Ukraine. Perhaps it's not in Putin's interests to fully incorporate Transnistria into Russia. Perhaps it is more useful for him to have separatists who he can control. And there was a very interesting story recently, which was this Russian journalist called Vitaly Denisov, who is recently deported from Moldova. He was working in the Moldovan branch of the Russian Sputnik news outlet. There have been reports that he was allegedly a Russian intelligence officer. Were you surprised by that? Is this part of a larger campaign that the Russians are doing? Well, it's clear that Moldova has been on the receiving end of Russian propaganda and disinformation operation and hybrid threats and hostile policies since before our independence, since the mm -hmm. late 80s. Uh, Russian disinformation against Moldova has been there on Russian news since more than 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, what Russian propaganda has been saying about Moldova does not differ very much, you know, between 91 and 2022-23. There's not, not much difference. And in this case, it's absolutely clear that people like that, they are not journalists. Mm -hmm. And Sputnik is not journalism. These are propaganda operations, disinformation operations, and a clear element of hybrid threats mm -hmm. directed against a country like Moldova, uh, aimed at destabilizing uh, the political situation, the democratic context, and um, uh, that is where the reality is. And of course, they mm. do work as an extension of the Russian state, and they are part of multiple other instruments mm. used by Russia to destabilize Moldova, mm. support for separatism, maintenance of illegal military presence, mm. 
We've faced over time multiple trade embargoes from Russia on wines, on fruits and vegetables. We've but, but, faced but manipulation the, of gas and uh, gas prices. But, but on the influence, uh, their influence campaigns, particularly this, you know, this Sputnik Moldova operation going on, do they get much of a, a foothold in Moldova? I mean, you have your president who's elected in 2020 is very pro-European, very anti-Russian. Is the civilian population vulnerable to Russian disinformation and these kinds of hybrid... All populations, mm. all democratic systems are somewhat and can be affected mm. by propaganda campaigns, by disinformation campaigns, and this kind of attacks, they are attacks designed to undermine democratic systems. Mm. At the same time, so I can, I will tell you that yes, these kind of campaigns have had an unhealthy and negative influence on the development of a Moldovan democracy. At mm. the same time, looking back at the last 30 years of Moldovan democracy, uh, we can also say that despite these negative effects coming from the Russian propaganda and other Russian hostile policies, separate supporting separatism, trade embargoes, mm. energy manipulation, uh, Moldova and Moldovan society has managed to defeat these hostile policies, including propaganda, has managed to consolidate its democracy, has managed to advance on Moldova's path towards the European Union. And mm. I will give you just a couple of examples. For example, just this year, Reporters Without Borders ranked Moldova on the 28th place in the world when it comes to press freedom. Mm. And we've jumped 61 positions in the last, uh, in the last uh, two years. So we, and basically in the last 30 years, every single Moldovan government was changed as a result of elections. So... Uh, I will tell you that, yes, Russian propaganda has negative effects, and not just propaganda, the full spectrum of Russian policies directed against Moldova. At the same time, over time, uh, Moldova constantly managed to minimize the negative effects of these measures, diversify, consolidate our democracy, reorient trade, fight the alternative sources of gas, mm -hmm. finding alternative sources of electricity, um, so this is what we're continue will continue doing. There was news reports this spring, um, an FSB document which was allegedly written in 2021. It was leaked in the media earlier this year, and it revealed that the Kremlin has this plan to destabilize Moldova and Moldovan society by supporting the pro-Russian separatists by using the Orthodox church um, by making Moldova dependent on imports of Russian gas, stirring up social conflict, as well as trying to block your efforts to get a resolution with the breakaway region of Transnistria. Were you sort of shocked by this news? And I, I understand that it was Ukrainian intelligence that was quite key in uncovering a lot of these plots. I mean, you, you don't need leaked documents to know that this is what Russia has been doing. Uh, for the last 30 plus years, and this is what it failed um, mm. to achieve as goal. So these instruments, they are there, but this, the success of these instruments is very, very doubtful. And Moldova's continuous uh, democratic path, Moldova's path towards the European Union, uh, Moldova's diversification of energy links, of trade links, they are all testimony to our capacity to defeat this kind of hostile and disrespectful policies by Russia. Mm. You have spoken recently, I think it was to Politico, about your country's path to 
EU membership and you've argued that the fact that you have a, a sort of separatist region should not be a reason for Moldova not acceding to EU membership. There was uh, a Romanian neighbours, Siegfried Murison, who's the chair of the European Parliament's delegation to Romania. He has said recently that Moldova cannot become a member of the EU as long as it has Russian troops on its territory against the will of Moldova itself. And he says that despite the support for your country joining the EU, that's something that has to be resolved before membership. Is he right? Well, uh, we have uh, several years before we joined the European Union. We're really engaged in a lot of hard work on transposing the acquis communautaire, the European body of uh, legislation, on uh, pursuing justice sector reforms, which are crucial for our EU accession. But all of these things will take mm. uh, quite a number of years. Our goal is to be ready to join the European Union by 2030. And this is also, uh, we plan to invest this time in solving the Transnistrian conflict peacefully through negotiations and coming to that situation where the Russian troops mm. uh, withdraw from Moldova as a result of negotiations and diplomatic efforts. Uh, so it's too early to speculate. We have mm. several years ahead mm. to advance towards the EU while advancing towards the settlement of the conflict and the peaceful withdrawal of Russian troops. I know you have several years to work on this, but let's say it was a choice between joining the EU and losing that territory from Moldova proper. Which do you think the people of Moldova would prefer? Would they prefer well, letting go of Transnistria in order to get EU membership? That's, or? that's a very theoretical choice at, yeah. at this stage. So there's no way I can say anything that would answer this question. Mm. What is clear, though, is that the the absolute majority of the uh, people living in the part of Moldova controlled by the government in Chisinau will not accept to be hostage Mm. uh, to this kind of uh, geopolitical and uh, context around Mm. the Transnistrian region. And Mm. the path to the EU for most of the Republic of Moldova is clear. Do you think maybe it's more of a question of if you can persuade the Europeans to allow Moldova to accede to membership without having fully reconciled no, the... the... The official position of the EU is that Moldova cannot be held hostage to mm. the settlement or non-settlement of this conflict. And mm. uh, that has also been said very clearly by the Vice President of the European Commission, a High Representative mm. for Foreign Policy, Jose Borrell, who in Chisinau, in Moldova, on 31st of May, said very clearly that mm. we are proceeding with uh, the integration of Moldova, mm. uh, and Moldova cannot be held hostage to this unsolved uh, conflict. Do you think it's at all possible? I mean, there are 1,500 Russian troops on Transnistrian soil. That's not a huge number. But do you think it might be possible for the Russians to use Transnistria in some way as a launching pad to launch attacks on Ukraine? Is that something that worries you? Of course, that was something that worried us a lot in the first days and weeks of the war. It's not hard to imagine that that was clearly a Russian hope and intention uh, to do that. Uh, At the same time, uh, pure geography... uh, and pure military balance on the ground Mm. uh, shows that inside this region there is not enough capacity to threaten Mm. militarily Mm. Ukraine without dramatic changes on where the front line lies Mm. between Russia and Ukraine. Mm. 
So as long, again, I said this, but I'll repeat, uh, as long as Ukraine resists, as long as Ukraine liberates territory, uh, pushes the Russian troops back, we have the parameters and the possibility of keeping the situation around the Transnistrian region peaceful. What are you asking the EU, the UN, your neighbours in Europe, the US? What is at the top of your shopping list of requests for, for countries to help Moldova? Our key objective for this year is to uh, make the next step towards joining the European Union and namely to be invited by the European Commission and the EU member state to start accession talks. Mm. To the European Union, that's a key objective. We're really doing thousands and thousands of things to make this possible and to bring closer the date when Moldova will be uh, ready to join the EU. And then we have really multiple conversations. So how do we make Moldova stronger, more resilient in the security domain? Mm-hmm. In the security domain, we have scaled up our security and defense cooperation with the United States, with the countries of the EU, with NATO as an organization, with the European Union as an organization. We've also worked a lot on uh, keeping Moldova's socioeconomic situation stable, on looking for solutions to Moldovan uh, energy vulnerabilities. And within these several sets of issues, we have multiple projects. We'll be, we're building a direct electricity connection to Romania, which will strengthen our electricity supply, security of electricity supply. We connected Moldova to the European electricity grid. Mm. Uh, we already have a gas pipeline to Romania. We need mm. to build another electricity yeah. connection. We're investing in renewables. We're working with Ukraine to boost land-based infrastructure, roads, bridges, railways to make it easier and faster to get Ukrainian goods in mm. and out, including grains and cereals. So we do have a really long list of joint projects that we're doing with the US, with the EU, with Ukraine, in basically every sphere. Richard, I'm so glad we could speak to Nico Popescu, um, the foreign minister of Moldova. I'm such an interesting country with such an illustrative relationship issue with Russia and how the Russians have treated it. But also in the last year, we have had the Moldovans repeatedly raising the alarm on Russian efforts to destabilize Moldova, to try and undermine their own sovereignty and their own democracy. And I just first of all want to ask you about that FSB document that was leaked. It was written in 2021 and it was leaked by a few uh, Western media organizations in the spring. And it was basically, it detailed this sort of labyrinthine plan that the Kremlin had laid out to destabilize Moldovan society by supporting pro-Russian groups, using the Orthodox Church, I know we've talked about on this podcast before, and of course, the threat to cut off gas supplies to Moldova, uh, which would obviously make Moldova dependent on imports of Russian gas. There is obviously also the breakaway region of Transnistria, where there are 1500 Russian boots on the ground on what was and, you know, legally speaking, still is Moldovan sovereign territory. So what did you make of uh, that FSB document and how worried are you about the situation in Moldova? Well, frankly, it's a pretty typical Russian playbook. And what I mean by that is that those enclaves where there is surviving Russian involvement, Russian 
influence, whether it's Kaliningrad or whether it's Moldova or whether it's bits of Serbia. I mean, the Russians are out in those areas to make the maximum amount of political trouble and to destabilize uh, those regions and to make sure that their progress, which primarily, well, in, in Moldova's case, is towards EU membership, you know, is frustrated and that they don't lose these territories to the very powerful magnetic pull that the economies of the EU exercise on them. I mean, Moldova, in a way, is almost like a mini Ukraine because the issues are surprisingly similar. And, you know, because of its position geopolitically, it's in a very sensitive strategic place. And if the Russians, as it were, can manipulate the influence that they've still got, particularly through their occupation of Transnistria. Well, occupation, I mean, it's a, an enclave which is separated, uh, which has a significant Russian component, and they've managed to hang on. But I thought in your interview what was really interesting was when the foreign minister of Moldova actually said, you've only got to look what's happening there economically, in comparison to what's happening in Moldova. And, you know, the Moldavian economy has really progressed because of its westward orientation. And Transnistria is being left desperately behind. And, you know, the local population begin to realize how disadvantaged they are by having their heart cart hitched still fundamentally to the Russian horse. The other important aspect of this is the fact that the existence of Transnistria uh, and at least the, the Russian occupation in Transnistria is that Moldova cannot progress in its bid to join the EU and to join NATO while there are hundreds of Russian soldiers illegally occupying their territory. And I, I thought it was interesting that Niku Popescu he seemed quite calm about the situation in Transnistria. He said that the situation is largely peaceful. And, and, you know, there are, of course, small diplomatic tensions once in a while, but there haven't been any meaningful security incidents for years, you know, and there was a fear earlier in the Ukrainian conflict from last year that the Russians might, you know, given that they are desperately trying to take the port city of Odessa, which is very close to the Moldovan border, that that bit of land in between Transnistria and the Ukrainian port city of Odessa might be squeezed, might be vulnerable if the Russians maybe wanted to try and approach Odessa from Transnistria. But he said that that hadn't happened. It was something that was obviously a worry for them, but not anything it seemed like he was really losing sleep over. So, I mean, Putin doesn't really seem to be actively pursuing, utilising Transnistria and the occupation there with regards to the kinetic conflict in Ukraine at the moment. I mean, do you think that would change? Do you think that's something he may consider in the future? Well, as long as they've got that option open to them, you know, it has strategic implications for the West. And, you know, it could be that Russia would up their involvement and, and it would become a sort of centre of crisis closer to the West because, you know, it sits on the Romanian border. But I think what the Moldavians have shown and cleverly shown is that they've great patience. I mean, they're not, they're not forcing the argument over Transnistria. 
And that's probably their best option because they're sitting there quite confident. And I think probably they're right that the economic pressures will solve this problem over time and that for Russia to hang on in there is going to get more and more and more difficult. And at some point, I think it's very fair to speculate that the population of you know, this separatist enclave will flip and take a different view. Well, what do you mean? Do you mean that they might rise up against the Russians on their soil? Well, they won't rise up. They'll just vote against, you know, getting the Russians out and rejoining Moldavia because they're, they're going to get seriously left behind economically. But do you think that might be possible? I mean, it's just like, you know, the referendums that were held in the Donbass. Well, it's not an occupation because the Russian military presence on the ground because that has been a pro-Russian enclave, but it's not. They haven't been fighting a war there since in the Donbass and Luhansk. They've been fighting a war since 2014. And, you know, that was a totally different sort of set of circumstances. And I think the Moldavians are, 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 are correct. I mean, it, it, it doesn't have the tension. It doesn't have the conflict. And if you actually look at the recent history of Moldavia, it's very informative as to how they got rid of the Communist Party influence in Moldavia. It took them a long time to kick these people out. And the previous president of Moldavia is Maya Sandu, who's now the premier or the president of Moldavia, her predecessor. I mean, he hang around for several years and there was a sort of kernel of political support for him, but they got more and more isolated. And I'm pretty sure that if you apply that model to Transnistria, which the Moldavians seem to be doing, they're confident that this will just fold up in due course because it isn't economically and politically viable. And what's more, because of the Ukrainian conflict, they're at a huge disadvantage. I mean, they're sitting there in a tiny little enclave. They're very isolated. Not for want of trying. I mean, the recent expulsion of the head of a Russian propaganda outlet, who the Moldovans alleged was actually a career military intelligence officer with the GRU. He was a GRU officer. And the Russians tried to do this in Montenegro. They tried to mount a coup using the GRU in Montenegro, if you remember, or you go back. And, you know, they tried very, very hard. And it wasn't a dissimilar situation. They failed laughably and it's gone. That problem is sort of, I wouldn't say gone away completely, but it's, it's very much in an abeyance. And I think that if you cold-headedly analyse what's happening in Moldavia, the Russians are, are on a... They're on to a loser. The last thing I want to ask you, I mean, you'd say it takes a long time to dislodge the communist elements in the country. It'll take Moldova a long time to dislodge the pro-Russian forces in Transnistria. But do you think they are willing to wait that long time before they get to join the European club? And Niku Popescu, our interviewee, he spoke out recently saying that the parts of Moldova that are controlled by our government, they can join the EU irrespective of what happens to the east, to Transnistria. He said no one wants divided countries inside the EU, but keeping countries at the mercy of geopolitical manipulation and separatist conflicts, that would be even worse for the continent, for the EU, and for us. I mean, do you think do you think he's right, or do you think the Europeans are going to be like, not on your Nelly, you, we're not going to let you in? No, I think he's probably right, and I think that there will be a very sympathetic attitude. To it. I mean, it isn't Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is massive, and the implications of Ukraine, you know, joining the EU economically 
you know, present a whole series of problems which are so big that they influence the whole organization. Moldavia has a population, what, 2.5 million? Less. So it's about 2.5 million, I think. Um, the population of Transnistria is tiny. Okay, it's a sort of laboratory in a way, but I'm pretty sure they've already got you know candidate status for joining the EU, and the EU will see the political advantage in this particular instance of making it easy for them. And the moment Moldavia joins or, or is close to joining, that's almost an economic death warrant for Transnistria. And do you think the population are going to sit there and watch their neighbours getting rich, getting all the benefits of economic benefits of EU? membership and you know they're stuck with a very beleaguered declining russia i mean i'm simplifying the issue slightly but i I think the cards are very much in moldavia's favor and this is all about these countries moving westwards psychologically and looking you know a different political system different educational system different social programs i think they're on a good track and i think they're handling transnistria in just the right way which is to say well if you you know you're the ones that are going to suffer if you don't if you know if you don't come with us that's it for this week's episode of one decision we drop new episodes every thursday like and subscribe so you never miss an episode drop us a line tell us your thoughts what decisions have impacted you and where you live you can write to us our email is one decision at one decision from me and the team thank you for listening and see you next time